listener production. Feed, Play, Love with Sarah Hunstead and Dr Deb Levy. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Mother, Doctor, Nurse, where we're coming to you live through all of the platforms where you can get us live. And today we're talking about sleep before we get into sleep. However, we have some very exciting, what would you say? Is it news, Sarah? I don't know. Oh, it's news. It's a presentation. It's just, it it made my week. It absolutely did. So Deb, we've got a special something for you. Uh, One of our wonderful listeners, Maddie from Boston, Victoria, has sent you a very, very special gift. And it is my delight to present you with your new worm mug. Yay! Oh, Maddie, uh, this is actually an honest surprise. They did not tell me about this. And considering (laughs) it's my birthday in a few weeks, I'm going to take that as an early birthday present. Thank you so much. That is beyond kind. I don't know if you're going to get it, Deb. I think Sarah kind of... No, I'm taking it. There's there's, there's no debate here. I'm taking it. We have evidence. This is live. (laughs) Deb's going to have her poo mug and then her worm mug. Uh, Can we just hold it up for a minute, Sarah? Have we got... Of course. I I just love that the worm is on what appears to be... A bit of poo. I think it's, of course I think it's poo. Graph, but I'm taking. I'm. I'm picking up what you're putting down there. Sure. <laughs> no, no, that is poo. This is a pinworm. Yeah, this is a pinworm, and I love. It's got the cutest little face on it. You can't quite see the detail on the screen there, but it's got the cutest little face, and that 100% is poo. 100%. Yeah. Good. Well, look. Thank you. We're, we're starting off well. So if you've joined us live, we're actually not talking about poo today. So sorry about that. We are talking about sleep, which is not as icky, but seems to be something that I, across my years of doing Feed, Play, Love, have noticed is a constant for parents. Um, so that's babies that aren't sleeping, toddlers, small children. I don't think it matters what age a child is. There are often challenges with sleep. And this is a strange thing, right? Because it's almost like we expect once babies get to one year or maybe six months, whatever, we go, oh, they're going to be great sleepers for the rest of their lives. And yet even adults, some adults have trouble sleeping. So it's kind of almost this thing that we expect to be perfect, but so rarely is it perfect for anyone. Is that your experience, ladies? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think we've got to let go of that term perfect because I think there's this, you know, and goodness knows where this has come from, this expectation that we should be all sleeping through the night from X whatever age. But, you know, it's a a hard no. Um, My personal experience, geez, I'm not going to name which daughter, but one of my children uh, would wake up at 3am every morning and slept in our room from 3am until she woke up uh, until she was nine years old. But that's what we needed to do to get through the night. And Mm. I think that's just one of those things. And of course, you know, as Deb is going to talk about today, there's lots of medical reasons, but, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you need to do to get through the night. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, sorry, I should actually introduce you for those who don't know the fabulous (laughs) women we have on Mother Doctor Nurse. We're, of course, Sarah Hunstead, founder of CPR Kids, paediatric nurse was just speaking then. And of course, Dr. Deb Levy, who is a paediatrician, both 
ladies are, why do I keep saying letters? Both women are mothers, so they understand intimately the things that we're talking about, but also professionally, they give us a lot of advice. So if you're watching, please give us a thumbs up, give us a like if you're on Facebook. Um, that just helps other people see that we're going live and gives them the opportunity to ask questions as well. And if you have your question, wherever you're watching this, whether it's YouTube or Facebook, please pop your questions down and we will get through as many as we can. And um, yes, let us start with Kirsty. She says, hey guys, my sister is pregnant and I've been looking at gift ideas. People have recommended a mesh liner that goes around the cot. But Sarah, are these oh, safe? Okay. So, oh, sorry, I clicked on that. That's not my job. That's your job. Oh, that's my, my job. But thank yeah, you I'm, for doing I'm sorry. it. No, no, that's all right. It, it was an accident there, but that's okay. I'll keep my hands off the technology. So <laughs> <laughs> what I really want to, and you're going to hear me say this repeatedly today, um, I really want to just direct everybody to Red Nose because these guys are the bee's knees. They are the evidence-based experts when it comes to safe sleeping and really is I don't think there's anybody else who I need to refer to um, we will definitely put some links down in uh, so you can access a lot of this information but uh, when it comes to the cot red nose absolutely does not recommend any additions to the cot so if that goes you know a liner a bumper so on nothing else should be in the cot apart from a good firm well-fitting mattress that goes to the edges of the cot the cot itself needs to um be uh, uh i've forgotten my words my goodness um <laughs> the cot itself needs to adhere that's not the word i'm after it needs to Fit. match Meat. meat. Thank you. Okay. Deb's the winner. I'm going with meat. It needs to meet the uh, uh, Australian guidelines. So the ACCC have all of those guidelines you can access on their product safety website. Um, and certainly nothing else should be in the cot apart from your baby, um, some uh, bed linen, so with that sheets, blankets, um, or a sleeping bag on them. And certainly there are ways that you need to be using those, which I can go into later as well. Um, and certainly no toys or anything like that. So why not a mesh liner that can go around the cot? Yes, it may be that if the baby goes up to the edge of the cot, they may be able to still breathe through, but it can they can get caught. It can be a strangulation hazard. So um, as Red Nose recommend, nothing um, in the cot, and we can go through the guidelines again later. Excellent. So we'll put those links in the um, show notes, and I'm sure Casey will pop them beneath these streams. Um, our next question comes from Lisa. She says, I'm about to go over to the UK and worried about how cold my 10-month-old is going to get. If it gets really cold, is it okay for him to sleep in a beanie? Good question, Lisa. What, who, who would like to answer that? I'll pass that to you, Deb, I think. Sure. Um, firstly, I just want to say you may be surprised because unlike Australia, European and North American countries realize that they actually have a winter and their homes are equipped for it. So the room may not actually be as cold as you anticipate. And I guess that brings you to the question of, well, what is the ideal temperature of a baby's bedroom? Um, and this is for sleep in general. So this is all ages. And the recommendation is around about that 19, 20 degrees. 
um, which is a little bit chilly in my in my opinion. So there's that. And then in terms of is it okay to sleep in a beanie? Absolutely no. If you've listened to what Sarah has just said, nothing except the baby, um, what they're wearing, and perhaps a sleeping bag, which, um, as she said, she'll go into in a little bit. So sorry, no beanies. Actually, while we've got Lisa's question up, um, Sarah, if you can talk maybe a little bit more about safe ways to keep your baby warm. If mm-hmm. let's let's say instead of going overseas to the UK, they go to um, Tasmania, <laughs> where we don't <laughs> yeah. have central heating. When we're not, you know, Australians, we're not great yeah. at central heating. Let's say you're going to a house mm-hmm. that is going to be particularly cold. Sarah, what's a safe way to keep them warm? So a really good idea is to have a sleeping bag that's appropriate for the area. So sleeping bags are rated. It's a TOG rating. And so read the label. You'll understand what temperatures that that sleeping bag is appropriate for. Um, One thing that you want to make sure when it comes to sleeping bags is the fact that they actually need to fit your baby. It's really, really tempting to buy a size above. thinking They'll grow into it. I'm going to get much longer out of this. But what can happen is, is that they can, if it doesn't fit properly, if it's too too big, they can wheel down and it can become a hazard. So make sure the sleeping bag fits, make sure that it's the right tog for the environment and make sure it's got that really nice fitted neck in the armholes as well so that it's, um, yep, so that it's fitting really, really nicely. Um, A really good idea is to dress your baby in layers of clothing as well. So I know Deb loves layers um, and that is a really good idea so that you can easily layer up or take off as needed. And have a think about yourself. Are you really cold in there? How many layers have you got on? So, you know, if you're comfortable in a T-shirt, your baby probably doesn't need six layers. Um, So have a think about how, you know, how warm you are in comparison. And if you do need a bit of extra warmth on top of that sleeping bag, you absolutely Absolutely can, you know, put a single, you know, a lightweight blanket is what Red Nose recommend. But of course, making sure that baby's feet are at the end of the cot. Um, if you're not watching this live and listening to podcast, you'll see me using these really weird hand gestures <laughs> at the moment to try and shove the baby's feet at the end of the cot. Um, but making sure your baby's feet are at the end of the cot, that the blanket is tucked in firmly and it only comes up as far as your baby's chest. So their arms are over the top and it can't ride up over their face while they're sleeping. And the other thing I remember with my kids was you can get onesies where they have the little mittens that you can put over their hands. And I always, someone once said to me, the secret to keeping a baby asleep is having warm feet and hands. Didn't quite work for me, but it may work for someone listening. And that's a good way to keep their hands warm. Safe way. Okay, let's have uh, some more questions. Um, How to keep them asleep for the whole night Ours is three years old, wakes up crying around 3 a.m. That's from banana soup. I love sounds, it. <laughs> that doesn't sound tasty, but anyway, it's just a name. Um, you know, Siobhan, to me, the, the issue is always, well, well, why? You know, like why is your baby waking up? And I think that, you know, there's there are a whole lot of steps that you can go through in terms of troubleshooting and trying to work things out. You know, are they overtired, undertired? Maybe they're hungry. That's why they're waking up. Maybe they're having nightmares, night terrors. Maybe they're iron deficient. Um, could they have worms? You know, all of back to the worms. Um, <laughs> all, you know, 
this there really is a plethora of, of things going on. And you know, at three years old and and um no, it is a little bit young there what you mentioned for your daughter, Sarah, but you know, often it is around separation and maybe they just want to be with you. You know, so it, it's not really an easy question to answer other than to say, in my opinion, what one always needs to do is exclude any medical issues, things like that could be causing pain, discomfort, um, or any nutritional problems, hunger, iron deficiency, etc., and then work your way through them um, before just saying, oh, you know, it's just a stage, oh, it's just behavioral. So there are really lots of um, possibilities going on there. And is the actual time any indication, Deb, in terms of that that often kids will wake up and adults as well will wake up at exactly the same time and it seems so strange because you have no consciousness when you're asleep. Is that an indication to you that there might be something happening in their body that triggers that? I'll try and think of a a non-geeky kind of answer to that one. But really what happens when you're asleep asleep is your hormone levels also fluctuate and cortisol is one of them. Um, You know, so, and and sugars and insulin, there's a lot going on while we're asleep. And um, I actually find sleep a fascinating, fascinating thing because it is just so vital to all aspects of our health, Um, which is why it's one of the five pillars that I talk about for children's health. But in terms of those early morning wakings, um, it could be that they're cold. You know, it could be that they're hungry. Um, you know, it really could be any of these things. So there's no one specific time. If you're talking about the difference between night terrors and nightmares, sometimes that falls in different times of the night. But um, otherwise, that early morning, really, it could be a multitude of things. Okay, so more investigation to be done. This next question comes from Rachel. Is it normal for newborns to be super sleepy? When do they wake up? <laughs> Too soon, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> Where those first weeks? <laughs> With your first one, you're like, you know, you're so, you don't, you're like, okay, well, they're going to wake up. You're so hypervigilant. And then your second one, you realise that sleepy stage is really awesome. <laughs> exactly. And um, I mean, in my experience, both um, personally as well as professionally, usually around about the two to three weeks of age. So those first two to three weeks are when they're really chilled, sleeping all the time, um, and then they start to wake up. That being said, um, there is something as, you know, being too sleepy, and I think you just need to be aware of that too. In other words, is there a problem? And what would alert me to that? How are they feeding? So if their feeding has dropped, if they're not gaining weight, if they're not having enough weight nappies, perhaps they've got significant jaundice, um, their breathing has changed, they feel hot. I mean, really, we have to also go, well, you know, could there be something more going on? Because there is such a thing as too sleepy, so you should be able to rouse your baby. Um, And if you feel you can't, then absolutely we need urgent review for that. Okay. Mm -hmm. This next question comes from Miriam. She says, two kids with different bedtimes. I am outnumbered. Any advice? I would. I wish my kids had the same bedtimes because somehow they managed to get on the same bedtime and one is two and a half years older than the other. When I was growing up, the eldest got to stay up later and the youngest went to bed earlier. Does not happen in my house. 
Oh, no, I put, yeah, I make sure my two, well, not anymore because they're like old. But um, now, back then, always, always same bedtime, only 18 months difference. I was just like, you know, there's no argument. Goodbye. I need my time. <laughs> you have the same bedtime as well, Deb? I try. My older daughter, um, so I, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, so it is kind of similar times anyway. Mm -hmm. And, but my older daughter likes to stay up later and so she feels older and um, she loves reading. So that's her time to, to lie in bed and read on her own. Uh, what I find so funny about this, and Miriam, I'm not sure if this is where you're at with your two kids, but what I find hilarious is that often my children are wanting to stay up later than me. So I'm, I'm going, can you just go to bed? I just want to go to sleep. And you just, where is this energy coming from? Go to bed. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miriam. I don't think we really helped you there, but um, thank you for your question. <laughs> okay. This next one says, um, why isn't it advised for bubs that roll to sleep on their sides when safely co-sleeping, but it's okay in the cot? That's from Carly. Sarah, do you have any insight into that one? Um, I, I'm struggling a little bit with... Um, with the actual question um, about what Carly's asking. And so I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to answer exactly what you're asking, Carly. So if you're watching and you want to pop that in the comments um, a little bit more, just elaborate a bit, great. But if not, hopefully I'll, I'll answer it. Now, we're going to open up the can of worms that is co-sleeping, okay? Um, once again, I am referring to red nose. Right. And it is well documented that there are risks to co-sleeping and that there are benefits to co-sleeping. This is absolutely well documented and we can put links to that um, in the comments below as well. And But what we want to do is that if you choose to co-sleep, we just want to be able to minimise those risks, okay? So there are absolutely um, hard, uh, you know, guidelines of when not to do it. And that is if you are sick or you are exhausted, okay? Um, if you or um, your partner that you are sleeping with um, in that particular bed have recently consumed alcohol or drugs, okay? Um, if you or your partner smoke, even if it's not the bedroom that you are actually smoking in, and um, also even prescription drugs. So we're not just talking about, um, you know, uh, illicit drugs. We're talking about prescription drugs as well that may affect your conscious state. Um, and, of course, uh, if you've got a preemie baby, um, there is more risk as well. So that's when not to co-sleep. But if you are going to go sleep, Red Nose have got some really good tips to actually minimise the risk. As when they sleep in a cot, it's the same if they are sleeping with you, put them on their back, okay? Never on their side or their tummy. Of course, once they're rolling, they can roll around, but we're making sure that they are not being wrapped or anything like that. They can move around and they can move themselves again. So always place them on their back to sleep. Next, we, of course, want to keep their head and face uncovered. So it's really important that we're not adding any pillows, that we're not using pillows to try and stop them rolling out of the bed, that we're moving all of that away and including the grown-up blankets because it's really, really easy for a big grown-up blanket to go over the top of your baby, particularly if they are wiggling around. So you need to remove the bedding, okay? Make sure the mattress is sleeping on is really nice and firm and flat, okay? And making sure that 
you and also your baby don't have things like dummy chains or if you've got long hair making sure that's all tied back jewelry and so on because it can be um, a strangulation risk as well so making all of that is sorted and make sure your baby can't fall out of bed is it safer to move the adult mattress onto the floor so that if they do roll off, it's just, you know, that much onto the floor. Um, avoid using pillows, though, to stop them rolling it out of the bed. Make sure they've got a nice, big, clear space. And what's really tricky as well is when you've got two parents or two carers in the bed, so it is um, less of a risk just to have one carer in the bed as well, okay, because that does actually decrease the risk of one overheating and two suffocation as well. Um, so they are just some tips from Red Nose for safer close sleeping. Um, I hopefully one of those has answered your question, Carly, as well. Um, and we uh, will absolutely put lots of information for you so you can really educate yourself on co sleeping as well. Mm -hmm. I'm I really love. Sorry, I'm interrupting. I really love those um, cribs that have a co-sleeping um, attachment to them where really that you can put them right up against the bed and take that one side down in a yep. safe way so you're not going to have yes. a gap or anything in between. I yep. absolutely love those. So um, if anyone is listening to this is pregnant and thinking about equipment to buy, um, those are the cribs that I often um, nudge at least towards as I think that they're wonderful and safer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, our next question comes from Julie. She says, my son is 18 months old and wakes up around 10 p.m. most nights and will scream and cry, which can go on for hours until he comes to my bed. I've tried everything. I'm a single mum, patting, rocking. He's warm and not hungry, laying next to the cot, etc. This has been going on for months since he got his first virus. Help, uh, Julie, I can say that happened exactly like that for me and it was purely because my baby wanted to co-sleep and uh, I am not an expert here, but I just put her into bed with me and we never looked back, but it's all about preference and safe co-sleeping. I'm not sure. What would you say, Deb? Yes, um, absolutely. It could very well be that, especially there seems to be a negative correlation in terms of it was obviously an unpleasant event, um, you know, being unwell, waking up, um, feeling sick, maybe feeling scared. And, and, you know, that perhaps has, um, is perpetuating itself and it's become a habit. The other thing I always think of, and it may not be what the mum's talking about, but certainly the time of um, the, the evening, so the first part of the night, makes me always think of night terrors. Um, and that's actually when I first started to um, listen to the question, I thought that's what, what, um, what she was asking about. But um, And I'm happy to talk about that, but that I'm not sure if she's implying night terrors or not. Well, let's just um, cover it off because obviously, if it's if it's not, if it's just that desire to be in bed with mum, because we know once we put babies into our beds when they're unwell, which um, again, directing to the, the Red Nose website, but that is one of the benefits of co-sleeping when you're close to your baby and they're unwell, you're more in tune with them, right? Um, and then, of course, they get comfortable. Why wouldn't you want to yeah. sleep in mum's bed? I'm not going back to the cot. Stuff that. So yeah. if we're ruling that out and it might be something like night terrors, they're very distinct from just waking up and crying, aren't they, yeah. Deb? So can you explain mm -hmm. how you would identify whether Julie's little boy is experiencing a night terror? Well, it's quite a typical description, plus or minus video. I often get brought videos, which are always very helpful. 
Um, and what happens is your child will be peacefully sleeping and in the first like third or so of the night will just suddenly bam, wake up and they'll wake up screaming and you'll feel like your child is being murdered. It is the most distressing thing to see. My daughter's had, I think about two or three in her whole life, my one daughter, um, and they are inconsolable. So they're aroused, but they're not awake. So they may be talking, they may be thrashing around. They can actually physically harm themselves by accident, you know, if they're falling out of bed or hitting themselves against the side of the crib. Um, and it's very, very difficult to actually manage because you shouldn't wake them up. It, it, you know, as a parent, it, your instinct would be, let me wake them up, but actually it's discouraged. Um, and what you're, you're meant to do is put on a soft light um, and sit with them calmly, keep them safe and maybe just talk calmly to them and soothe and, and wait until it ends, you know, mm -hmm. so it can be a very, very frustrating thing to, to witness and very scary. Um, and then I guess the next part is, well, you know, knowing me a little bit now, it's all about the why, you know, why is your child having night terrors? And, you know, it's a group, it, it's part of this group of things we call parasomnias, which include things like sleepwalking, sleep talking. Um, and it's sometimes it can just happen and often there's a genetic component to it. So it may be that suddenly, you know, your mother-in-law will go, because it's never your mother, right? It's always the husband's side. <laughs> That's all the things. Um, you know, it could be, you know, yep, dad, dad had them when he was young and, you know, cousins or whatever. So always ask family members because um, usually there's a genetic component to it. Um, and then there are other things that can increase the incidence of them. So if your child's unwell, if they're overtired, um, if, you know, again, looking at their diet, so, you know, looking at any micronutrient deficiencies. So, you know, it is a little bit about delving a little bit deeper before just saying, ah, you know, they're night terrors and um, this is how you try and manage them, but there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, Julie, there are some avenues for you to go down there and find some solutions. Uh, let's bring up another question. I, I can post a great blog that I wrote all about this. So the parents Excellent. can read more. What about terrors and nightmares and the difference and how to tell the difference? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Mel asks, when and how do you introduce sheets, blankets, particularly for toddler beds? Sarah, I feel like that's something you can answer. Um, yep. So uh, it's it's really up to you. I mean, with one of my uh, daughters, she didn't tolerate a sheet or a blanket until she was much older. So she was in onesies for a really long time and that's all that she slept in. Um, so introducing sheets and blankets, remembering as well, uh, following the safe sleep guidelines um, and also just thinking about the type of sheets and blankets that you're going to put in there. So we want to avoid the overheating, um, making sure that we are tucking them in at the end as well. Otherwise, not only are they going to end um, on the floor because they will in that toddler bed if they're not tucked in but make sure they're tucked in really well um, but when it comes to the toddlers um, I think it's probably preference really Deb do you have anything to add to that um I often get the question when is it safe for them to sleep mm -hmm. with a toy bed or, or have mm -hmm. a blanket or anything and um, my understanding and Sarah please correct me if I'm wrong mm -hmm. is usually it's around about that 12 to 18 month mark that it's okay to have those things in the crib um, mm -hmm. 
and especially with blankets. I think that's what I did with my kids. But I think that those those tog bags are the best thing ever. Oh, my God, I, I loved thinking, them. You know what I was thinking also when you were talking about co-sleeping, Sarah, and the fact that the mm. parents have to roll the blankets off, I was thinking, huh, wouldn't it be cool if adults had those too? Oh, my God, yes. Because when I was co-sleeping with yeah. my son, I did all of those things. It was the middle of winter and I oh, had the enough. quilt off the bed and I'm just trying to get... I was like, I'm never going to get warm enough. But as long as you're safe, little one, <laughs> what we do. But I do love those little um, sleeping bags. I was so sad when my kids grew out of them. Mm-hmm. Sarah, so, you're rubbing your hands. I do. I found the answer. I found the exact answer. Yeah, no, 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 not at all, not at all. So Red Nose recommend that from eight months above that you can okay, add a younger. comforter yeah, in mm. the cot. So by the time they are um, seven months old, they're exploring objects in their sleeping environments and they may actually appreciate and uh, find comfort from a comforting toy. And so, um, yeah, from the age of eight months. Yeah, so, yeah, there you go, eight months. Goodness, we're getting questions now. Okay, this one is from Crystal. She says, my 20-month-old either falls asleep in the car or the pram, but at home refuses to nap even if she's exhausted. Also won't sleep at night unless someone is in the same room for about half an hour. I wish they would just go to sleep. Do we need to do sleep training? That's from Crystal. I think Deb should answer the question, but I guess there <laughs> I'm going to be handling uh, handing everything that is a sleep question over to Deb because I'm not an expert in that area. But I do think that if it is affecting how you feel and you are feeling upset and frustrated about something, then going and seeking expert help is important because it's um, it's it's obviously affecting how you feel. I mean, if it was like, oh yeah, no, that's fine. You know, I don't have a problem with it. You know, it's you know my time to you know lay on the floor for half an hour and not move. Then great. But if it's affecting how you feel, then I don't think that there's anything wrong with seeking expert help. That's just my two cents worth. Really. And Deb, what would you say? Uh, oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I think. And I totally get it, Crystal, because sometimes kids form associations that may not serve them or us long term. You know, and the typical thing would be like breastfeeding to fall asleep, for example. That's one I often see. Or for one mum actually, her her, um, her daughter used to twirl not 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 her own hair, but the mother's hair around her finger, and that became her sleep association. So, um, you know, it can be very tricky when if it's that movement that has caused that sleep association. Um, and really my recommendation around this is to slowly wean them off it, you know, and you may find that in the crib, especially um, if you can, even just knocking it a little bit, something like that, just to try and emulate that movement might help as a sidestep into it. But um, I often will recommend in these situations is either linking in with services like Caratani or Tresillian, um, you know, to see what supports they can get with them. Um, there are obviously also thousands of um, sleep coaches, sleep training, and I've got a little bit of an issue around that terminology. Um, bec- but um, I would, as Sarah is saying, you know, reach out for some help because this is what sounds to me like a habit that's formed that, um, you know, your 20-month-old 20, 20 just needs a little bit of help getting out of. 
Yeah. And Lisa, I can't believe it. The time has gone so quickly. We're going to have to wrap it up. But I do want to end with this comment from Kate, who has very generously said that Ergo Pouch makes adult sleep suits. So uh, for those of you out there who want to co-sleep safely this winter, you wouldn't know it in most places around Australia. It is getting, it is, will eventually get colder. Please take Kate's suggestion and check out those Ergo Pouches. Uh, but listen, I'm really sorry. We are going to have to wrap it up. I told you, we can talk about sleep forever. Mm-hmm. So um, we can. <laughs> if you have been watching this live and you have um, you think there's some advice in there that a friend might benefit from, please know that this will be a podcast. It's coming out on Monday as part of Feed, Play, Love. This is a special series that we're running and we will be doing more episodes on Feed, Play, Love with the wonderful Sarah Hunstead and Dr. Deb Levy. Ladies, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. So Dr. Deb Levy and Sarah Hunstead will be back next week talking on the podcast about allergies. We know that allergies in children have been rising over the past two decades, but how do we manage it in our kids? Is there a special way to introduce solids? Is there a way, is there such a thing as exposure therapy? You can email us your questions at feedplaylove at sca.com.au and we'll get them get to them on our next episode of Mother Doctor Nurse. Thanks, ladies. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.